0: What's happening, guys? Sam Adams here, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jam Pack Report, today for November the 19th of 2019. Of course, my name is Samuel Adams, and this is a daily gaming news podcast meant to bring you the hottest news from around the industry five days a week, Monday through Friday, on YouTube and podcast services around the world. Of course, if you enjoy the show, you like what you see, hit that subscribe button or follow along on medium.com slash jam pack report, where you can find a written daily digest along with links to every article that we talk about on the show and links to the show itself. But with that being said, today we have a follow-up from yesterday's story about Half-Life Alex. The game is real and it's getting a full reveal this coming Thursday. It's the first new Half-Life game in 12 years, so you could say it's kind of a big deal. Then Firewatch fans are worried that In the Valley of Gods has been cancelled and it looks like they could have a genuine reason to worry. I don't think this game is ever going to come out at least not anytime soon. Then, Nintendo is adding paid memberships to Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. That's right, that was plural, more than one. Logitech has a brand new Xbox Adaptive Controller accessory kit that makes accessible gaming more affordable than ever. And finally, a mysterious cartridge that we talked about earlier in the month could actually be something linked to the PlayStation 5. Modular storage, perhaps? It very well could be. And that is our lineup for today's show. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into it. Valve will unveil its Half-Life Alex VR game on Thursday. It's the first new Half-Life game in 12 years. No, your eyes are not deceiving you. After 12 years, Valve has announced a new Half-Life game. The company has confirmed swirling rumors with word that it will reveal Half-Life Alex, its flagship VR game, on November the 21st at 1pm Eastern Time. It did not provide any details about the game itself, but this backs claims that the game will switch attention to Alex Vance, the resistance fighter and Gordon Freeman ally who played a key role in Half-Life 2. A purportedly leaked Game Awards interview transcript indicated that Alex will be VR only and focus on immersion, with the possibility of seeing the player's whole body and the tension of fumbling with reloads as you face off against headcrab zombies. If accurate, this is still far from certain. The title would be ready to play in March 2020. There are plenty of unknowns, though. How much of this is a tech demo versus an honest-to-goodness game, for one thing? whatever the answers? This is not a surprising move for Valve. It hasn't been shy about tapping its best-known properties for VR experiences and now has a headset of its own, the Index, to show off. Alex could easily drive sales of the Index and other Steam VR capable headsets. For that matter, even Half Life 2 served as much as a tech demo for the Source engine as it did an actual game. Still, it's easy to understand if you are at least a little bit excited. This is proof that Valve has not abandoned Half-Life, even if it can't get over the fear of games, with 3 in the name. And so, this Thursday, we have the full reveal of a brand new Half-Life game in 2019, which is something to behold, let me tell you. Uh, But again, as I said on yesterday's show, this is a very exciting time. Of course, VR is really beginning to take off. Not quite at the rate uh, that some people would prefer it to take off, but at the same time, it is Gaining an audience, it is gaining users, and it is definitely proving that it is not something that's going to fade with time, uh, like you saw with motion controls or even other, you know, gaming peripherals that have come and gone over the years. Uh, but if you are curious about Half-Life, Alex, we will get more details this Thursday. Of course, I will talk about it on Friday's episode of the show because this is a very big deal. But until then, definitely stay tuned to everything going on. Of course, if you missed the show yesterday, we went very in depth into the uh, discussion surrounding. Half Life Alex, the fact that the transcript had been leaked, a conversation between Jeff Keighley and a couple of devs from Valve certainly showed off a lot of what the game could entail. Now, I did want to say one thing. Uh, this uh, article here said that the possibility of seeing the player's whole body is included. That's not exactly accurate, in my opinion. The direct quote said that during the play test, as developers watched somebody play, they used their whole body. You could see them uh, using their whole body, and that's kind of the direction they're going with whenever they said that. Not so much you are going to be able to actually see your whole body. Now, you very well could, but hey, we'll see what happens with this whenever the full reveal comes out on Thursday. And who knows when a release date could come, but maybe we'll find out later this week. However, speaking of Valve, Firewatch fans are worried that In the Valley of Gods has been cancelled. Twitter bios of lead developers have removed any reference to the game and the announcement trailer is gone too. In the Valley of Gods, Campo Santo's follow-up to the excellent Firewatch was unveiled at the Game Awards in late 2017. In April 2018, we got a closer look at the game and spoke in detail with the studio about the relationships in the game and its many inspirations from silent films to 1920s archaeology, all in service of capturing the feeling of what it might really be like to run your thumb across an ancient and scripted wall. Since then, there has been nothing. That silence isn't out of character for Valve, which acquired Campo Santo right around the time of that preview, but recent changes in the Twitter bios of three of its lead developers, Firewatch producer and 3D environment artist Jane Ng, art director Claire Hummel, and Campo Santo co-founder Jake Rodkin has some followers worried that the game has been cancelled. A check of the Internet Archive confirms that the changes were made relatively recently. The Twitter bios of Ning and Umble both indicated that they were working on In the Valley of the Gods as recently as October 2019, while Rodkin's bio made the same reference up to September. All three now indicate simply that they are employed by a Valve. So, of course, here are the screenshots themselves. I noticed this on Twitter and I wanted to incorporate it into the show, but it certainly looks like this could be something... Uh, to discuss here, because these are some pretty stark changes here, some pretty stark contrast between before and after. I mean, look at Jake Rodkin here. Uh, You have making In the Valley of Gods at Valve versus designer at Valve. You have Claire Humble, art director for In the Valley of Gods at Valve, making video games at Valve. It is looking like this could be One that doesn't see the light of day. One person responding to McVicker's tweet suggested that the change could be a simple matter of developer turnover, but that doesn't strike the author or me as very likely given the leading roles that all three played at Campo Santo. It could also be related to the recently confirmed Half Life Alex VR project, which could be a good fit for a team that's already got one super personal and very good first person game to its credit. No, it wouldn't. That's just PC Gamer trying to add in one of their articles that they wrote. Or maybe it just doesn't want its developers talking about what they're doing before it's ready for an official reveal. That certainly wouldn't be out of character. It is a strange situation, and not necessarily indicative of anything more than a shift in focus for these particular developers. Valve famously allows employees to work on any project they choose. The website for In the Valley of Gods is still up, and so is the Steam page, but the announcement trailer on the Campo Santo YouTube channel has been set to private. You can still see it via the Game Awards, and in response to a recent tweet bemoaning the game's purported cancellation, Ning said she was glad the poster connected with Firewatch, despite some low-key rudeness, but made no mention of In the Valley of Gods status one way or the other. Taken altogether, it seems a bit odd at the very least and not all reassuring for anyone eager for Campo Santo's next thing. I have reached out to Valve for more information and will update if I receive a reply, Andy Chalk says, at PC Gamer this game has pretty much been put on the back burner. Uh, it is a gorgeous looking game. I remember whenever I first saw it, uh, very much so got some vibes of The Witness combined with Firewatch. There's a lot to break down, uh, and a lot to look forward to, but after the acquisition of Valve, I think Campo Santo has probably been pushed to work on other stuff. I think the internal, uh, Working parts that made up the company itself is probably beginning to kind of be shifted into different gear slots in Valve. Did you like my machine metaphor? I was really proud of that one, came up with that one on the fly. Uh, but yeah, I don't know that this game is ever going to really uh, be coming out anytime soon simply because it seems like everybody is beginning to distance themselves from the project. And I wouldn't be shocked to see the entire Steam page go offline or some statement made to say that it's been canceled, uh, some kind of acknowledgement of the fact that, hey, Doesn't look like this one's going to be hitting anytime in the near future. However, you know what is going to be hitting? Nintendo because they're going to smack you upside the head with some paid memberships in Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. Nintendo plans to launch paid subscription memberships for its smartphone game Animal Crossing Pocket Camp later this week, according to an in-game news update. The company says one plan lets you appoint one lucky animal as your camp caretaker and get some extra help around the campsite, while another says you'll receive fortune cookies and store your furniture and clothing items in warehouses. Nintendo released its latest mobile game, Mario Kart Tour, last month with a surprising optional subscription, a $4.99 per month Gold Pass that unlocks a faster speed mode and gives users access to more in game items. The company says it will reveal more information about the Animal Crossing memberships in videos that are due to be released on Wednesday. Despite the hype surrounding Nintendo's belated discussion to start making smartphone games after years of pleas from investors, mobile remains a small part of the company's overall business. Nintendo doesn't break out specific mobile sales figures, but in its most recent earnings report, said that first-half revenue for mobile and IP licensing totaled 19.9 billion yen, which is up 6.4% year-on-year, but represents less than 5% of the company's overall sales. Mario Kart er earnings are also off to a good start, President Shuntaro Furukawa told investors at the financial results briefing after commenting on the game's download figures. In addition to randomized items, we have created opportunities to generate revenue, such as the Gold Pass subscription, to meet the various needs of consumers, allowing them to enjoy the game. By including these mechanics and multiplayer functionality, we want to make it an attractive application that will be enjoyed by consumers in the long term. Nintendo's mobile games have been a hit and miss in both terms of their quality and their financial performance, but if subscriptions are a model that turns out to work, you can expect to see more of them in future titles. Uh, so, memberships in mobile gaming, a very controversial subject in today's day and age. Uh, it seems that there is kind of this uh, two-tiered system when it comes to most mobile games. Of course, if you look at everything included with Apple Arcade, those are legitimate games, and I'm using air quotes for anybody that's watching the podcast uh, or uh, listening to The podcast because those don't have any microtransactions, you can't buy anything, you simply have the Apple Arcade subscription, and boom, you have tons of games that are full, complete experiences on the go. Then you have stuff that is free to start or free to play, which is what you have with Mario Kart Tour, which is what you have with Animal Crossing Pocket Camp. And to be fair, the majority of those players are going to be fine with the free option. I mean, at the end of the day you are looking for something to kill a couple of minutes on break at work, to kill a couple of minutes at the beginning of class. You can take it to the bathroom with you. You can That's pretty much what smartphone games are meant to be in 2019. And so this is catering to those that are, number one, whales uh, that do want to spend money on a game, that do invest a significant amount of time in the game. And on top of that, subscriptions are also good for the company because they keep people engaged. Because if you are somebody who subscribes to a service, you are more likely to actively think about using that service. And if you have an in-game subscription, you are more likely to go back to that game in the long run. You are more likely to return to that app because you have money invested and money continuing going out. It's the same kind of concept with Game Pass. I feel compelled to play stuff like The Outer Worlds. I feel compelled to play stuff like The Outer Wilds. I feel compelled to play stuff like Gears of War 5 or Gears 5, if you want to get really specific about it, because I have this subscription and I want to get my money's worth. That's uh, basically the idea here. And so... There are two brand new paid subscriptions coming to Animal Crossing Pocket Camp later this week if you did want to dive in. Uh, overall, not a big fan of the uh, the membership option here. I feel like they're kind of nickel and diming people at the end of the day. Uh, but some people really enjoy that kind of thing. Some people are going to be fully on board. And in a way, it's kind of like Fallout 76 where you do have people that are upset, uh, but there is an overwhelming minority vo- uh, voice, I suppose an overwhelming majority, a silent majority, there we go, that doesn't really care and that will end up playing playing the game and paying for these subscriptions. But that's just my two cents on that. However, one thing that's really cool, a bit of good news for the day, is that Logitech's $100 kit for the Xbox Adaptive Controller makes accessible gaming even cheaper. The Logitech kit provides a full set of buttons, variable actuation triggers, and two mounting pads for less than Microsoft's accessories. The Microsoft Xbox Adaptive Controller is already pricey at $100, and it may not meet your mobility constraints and gaming preferences. Adding in the cost of a bunch of accessories, which are frequently about $50 each, can double or triple the total price and put it out of reach for a lot of gamers who might benefit from it logitech's new g adaptive gaming kit includes three small three large and four light touch buttons two variable triggers two mats you attach to them and more all for 100 dollars That way, you don't have to pay a bundle for trial and error with the Microsoft Accessories. It's available now on Logitech's site or through Microsoft's online and and brick-and-mortar locations, and will work with any platform that the XBAC supports, Xbox One or PC via Bluetooth, and wired connections. The triggers connect via the USB connections on the side of the hub, while the rest connect via the jacks on the back. The veteran gaming accessories maker worked with a variety of partners to develop the kit, including Microsoft, Able Gamers, Abilities Research Center at Mount Sinai, and Special Effect. It includes touches such as two 8x10 hook and loop pads, one rigid and one foldable to wrap around narrow objects like a chair arm. They can also link to each other to create one large pad. This design allows you to position and arrange and rearrange the different controls or simply pack up without having to remove them. The box accommodates storage that way. There are also places to attach standard and rewritable labels, screws, and Velcro cables for organizing the cables. themselves, Logitech used its own mechanical switches for the buttons. In this case, they're the low-profile ones found in the G915 wireless keyboard with their 1.5mm actuation distance and 2.7mm travel. The big buttons include stabilizers to prevent them from rocking or failing to register when you hit them off-center. At the moment, there is no option to buy any extra buttons or triggers separately if you, say, decide you want three big red ones, but you'll be able to get replacements through Logitech's support. And so this is phenomenal, in my opinion. And of course, if I remember correctly, uh, this was something that Microsoft really wanted to become a reality when they released the Xbox Adaptive Controller, because to be able to play games is something that shouldn't be limited by any kind of physical restraint. Of course, there's a lot of restraint that comes with any kind of disability that has to be overcome or that can be overcome. Uh, But for companies to get behind uh, the idea of making accessibility more affordable is something that I'm always going to back. There's never going to be a downside to that. And for 100 bucks on top of the $100 bucks is going to be going to the Xbox adapted Controller itself, you can have a full-featured Xbox experience, a full-featured PC experience, thanks to uh, this controller setup. Now, is it still more expensive than the standard controller? Yes. Uh, but at the same time, it's still going to be much more affordable than having to buy each individual button, again, which some could run as high as $50 from Microsoft itself but glad to see developers are getting behind this thing. Uh, Glad to see that Microsoft is supporting this in the long term, and I must say, it's a very cool piece of tech to see, and I'm very thankful for those that need it. I mean, really, this is something that could change the way people play games for a very long time. And finally, to round out today's show, a follow-up to a story we covered earlier in the month. A rumor has circulated that a mysterious cartridge patent is looking more likely to be a modular SSD storage for the PlayStation 5. So here's a recap. Earlier this month, it was discovered that Sony had filed a patent in Brazil for a cartridge device of some sort. It resembles old-school game cartridges or those you plug into your PlayStation Vita, for instance, but its real purpose remained unclear. Fast forward to last week when tech-side Let's Go Digital created 3D renders of said device. The website deduced that the cartridge could be an extra SSD storage for use with the PlayStation 5. Now we have another update on this mysterious hardware. Let's Go Digital has done some more digging, and it turns out the same cartridge was patented in Sony's homeland of Japan much earlier. From these new documents, the tech site has pulled new images and quotes which corroborate its theory on the device. It's now sounding more likely that you'll be able to upgrade your PS5's SSD storage with these modular carts. Here is the quote from the subject on SIE Japan, or from SIE Japan. This is a recording medium which can record various data, such as character, an image, an animation, a sound, and a program. By loading the opening provided by the game console with a tip end part by which a variety of pins of this cartridge were provided the various data recorded on this cartridge can be read In other words, these cartridges are built for data storage. It seems much more likely that you'll be able to plug in one of these to your PlayStation 5 in order to expand the system's total storage capacity, which sounds much easier than replacing the built-in SSD altogether. As Let's Go Digital points out, the advantage of this for Sony, if true, will be that it can reduce the cost of the PS5 itself with a smaller amount of system storage. Players can then use the modular storage expansions as and when required. The fear is that these proprietary cartridges could cost a bomb. To us, this sounds like real deal but we obviously won't know for certain until sony speaks up it would be a smart way to keep manufacturing cost to a minimum as the company aims for a comfortable initial cost but we're just going to have to sit tight for the time being hopefully we'll, we will learn lots more about the ps5 in the coming months and so i think they could be on something here uh now i'm not sure if this is the exact same cartridge that we discussed earlier in the month but i know this has been circulating for a while uh that this was going to be pretty much the move uh The capability of the hard drive to be switched out of the PlayStation 4 is something that has been up in the air surrounding the PlayStation 5 for quite some time. Is that going to be an option? And I think that if this is to be believed, you could be seeing the answer, and that would be yes, but it could be proprietary. I don't like that at all because of what happened with the PlayStation Vita early on and actually on top of that uh, to some degree the PSP as well but the PlayStation Vita had proprietary storage that essentially crippled the ability to expand storage for a lot of people because some of these cards were outrageous when it came to price of course the Nintendo 2DS and 3DS uh, they are able to use SD cards just traditional SD cards I believe that the Nintendo Switch uses one as well uh, but you can find those on Amazon for eight. Nine, ten dollars sometimes, 15 if you want a big one, $30 if you want a massive one, uh, that kind of thing. Of course, price varies from time to time, but you know what I mean. SD cards are incredibly cheap. Uh, when it came to the PlayStation Vita, th- some of these cards were running $60 for a very small card all the way up to 100. I think there was even one that was $200 at one time. Uh, and as more games are taking up more space, we are going to need bigger hard drives. And so if they launch the PlayStation five with presumably a one terabyte drive, uh, As games continue to add more features, you are going to be looking at that being able to hold, what, three, four games, something like that. I mean, on this generation, we have games that are taking up over 150 gigs. If you consider what the next generation is going to be capable of and you compare that to the leap that came between the PS3 and the PS4... Those are going to be incredibly huge files, assuming that the transition is similar in any kind of way, shape, or form. Uh, But I did want to say this looks like it could be some kind of proprietary uh, cartridge that you might clip into your PS5. You could just slide it in under the cover. I don't know how it's going to work when it comes to the final hardware, but it certainly looks like you could be looking at a brand new SSD uh, coming for the PlayStation 5, and that could be how you expand storage on the system itself. But I suppose we will have to wait and see for a full release when we finally know exactly what is going to be going down. However, with that being said, that rounds out today's episode of the Jam Pack Report. If you enjoyed this one, drop me a like down below if you are watching on YouTube. And of course, as always, thank you for checking out the show. I hope you enjoyed it and I will catch you on the next one and peace.